Amen. That's enough for me. Let's give it up for Jesus one time. Come on. No, come on to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Give him praise. Lily of the Valley, Sweet Rose of Sharon, Triumphant Lion of Judah. Hallelujah. Look at somebody say, Jesus is. That was weak and puny and pitiful. Say, Jesus is the best thing that has ever happened to me. If you believe it, put your hands together one more time. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, it's so good to be with you here uh, in Birmingham, Alabama. Now, people are going to ask right out the gate, are you a Bama fan? I bleed crimson. Come on now. Now, uh, my, my, you say, prove it, Pastor. Well, my dad's name is Al and his brother's name is Bama. That's a true story. My grandfather was such a Tide fan, he names his sons Al and Bama. I told my dad, I said, you got the good end of that stick, though, brother. I tell you. But I grew up my whole life with Uncle Bama. But it's so good to be with you. Send you greetings from my lovely wife. She couldn't be here today. Uh, my wife was Mrs. Ohio, went on to Mrs. America. How many know what the Bible says? When you found a wife, you found a good thing. I found a real good thing. Hallelujah. Yay for me. Sometimes we'd be walking in a mall, and people would look at her and look at me and look back at her and look at me all confused. I just have to go, I don't know. Somebody was living right, man. Jehovah Jireh. Amen. But uh, keep on playing with me, would you, brother? And uh, I just want to just send you greetings from her. I want to give all of you, before uh, I get into the Word today, uh, do they got you? There you are. I feel more spiritual when you play behind me. Amen. Uh, I want to make this statement. How many of you believe that our faith has got to mean more outside these four walls than it does in here? I love church. I love everything that happens in church. But if we don't take what we've had deposited inside of us in here, outside these four walls and everything that we've done in here, it doesn't matter. 1954, there was an incredible couple by the name of Drs. Mark and Hulda Buntain. They started a ministry called Mission of Mercy. That ministry today is a ministry that thrives as a ministry called One Child. One Child Matters brings hope and health and healing to children in 15 of the most devastated destinations on the planet. Uh, my dad told me a story, Pastor, when I was 12 years old. 12, I've never forgotten it. And it was a story about a little boy, and he was looking inside the window of a shoe store. You know, he had his face pressed up against the glass. He was admiring all the shoes. Well, a man walked by, and he couldn't understand why this boy was so enamored with all these shoes till he realized when he looked down, you know, the boy had no shoes on his feet. So compassion fell on the man's heart, and he took the boy inside the shoe store. He said, son, which one of these shoes do you like? The little boy was so excited, he didn't even know what to do. He said, well, I like those, and I like those. And he saw one pair, and he said, but sir, those shoes are beautiful. Well, the man had all three pair of shoes brought to the boy, and he bought all three pair. And the boy had new shoes on his feet. He had a bag of shoes in this hand, a bag of shoes in this hand. And he's walking out of the store with the man, and he's just so overwhelmed with joy and gratitude and thankfulness. He looked up the man, and he said, thank you, God. The man said, son, I'm not God. I'm just one of his children. He said, well, I knew you were related somehow. Come on, somebody. Can we be a men and women of God like that? Man, can we be someone that sees a need, recognizes a need, and more importantly, responds to a need? Uh, I'm, in, uh, I'm encouraged to tell you of another little story. It was about a boy, and he was playing with matchbox cars. How many of you fellas remember that? That's old school right there. He had sidewalk chalk. He'd drawn a track, and he was racing his little cars around the track. Well, a man who lived next door pulled up in a brand-new CLK Mercedes. You know, it was just fire engine red, chrome-dipped rims, leather interior, you know, it had that telescopic convertible roof, had a big bow on the hood. The boy was so blown away, drops his toy car, he walks over to the man, he says, wow. And the man said, you like that? You like that, little man? That's a CLK Mercedes. That's a $100,000 sports car. The little boy goes, wow, where did you get it? And the man said, well, that's the kicker. My brother just bought me this car for my birthday. 
And the little boy goes, wow, I wish. And the man goes, stop right there. <laughs> stop right there, little man. I know what you're going to say. You were going to say you wish you had a brother like that. The little boy welled up with tears, and he said, no, I was going to say I wish I could be a brother like that. My wife and I went to Haiti three years ago. Pastor, I didn't go to preach or to teach. I didn't go to do a comedy night. I just went over to love kids. That was the purpose of my trip. Love kids, hold kids, feed kids. Y'all, I went to the dollar store and bought a 99 cent. Y'all have the dollar store around here? Went to the dollar store and bought a 99 cent bottle of bubbles. Cost me a dollar. How many of you know we can't get teenagers to stop staring at their stupid phones here in the U.S. for five minutes? These children were following me around like I was a celebrity because I was blowing bubbles. We um, fed them. They wouldn't even touch their food, y'all, until like hundreds were served. They wouldn't even touch it. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation that was overwhelming, but that was one for me. And the missionary looked over. He said, Pastor, you okay? And I said, well, this is just kind of, you know, I'm struggling here with this because I know that this is the only meal these kids are going to get today. He just looked at me and said, Pastor, it's the only meal they're going to get in the next four days. So uh, we held them. We picked them up. I didn't care what they looked like, what they smelled like. We just showed them Jesus. Our hearts were full. We came home. And then many of you will remember seeing on CNN, Fox News, Hurricane Matthew came through and just leveled that place. It's now the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. But just for a couple of moments uh, via video, I wanted to share with you uh, this incredible journey we had just in a two-minute snapshot. And then I wanted to share with all of you today, even before I get into the Word, I want to share with all of you how you could do something today that goes far, far, far beyond the walls of Solid Rock Church. So direct your attention towards the screens. host homes uh, they have sleeping conditions there this is about as real and as uh, rough as it gets here in Haiti and so we just wanted to give you a, a shot of what people deal with and how they live every day this is why we go out 50 weekends a year all over the United States Asking people to change lives just like this one. Right? <laughs> Here we stand. The world awaits. I'll let the stars tonight light the way. We're headed to visit a child's home to meet their family.
churches here that's at one of the One Child Matters projects in Haiti. So this is where the families get to come and worship. make some noise. Isn't that awesome? And that was our uh, journey to Haiti. We were in Crystal Springs, Mississippi about 10 months ago, and a little 12-year-old kid came up to me. He said, I want to sponsor a child. And as excited as I was at his enthusiasm, he was kind of a child himself. So I held up a profile like this, and I said, well, little man, I said, you realize this isn't a pamphlet. He goes, no, I know. I said, no, I mean, it's not a brochure. It's not promotional material. I said, it's a child. He said, I know. I already asked my mom and dad. Well, that got my attention. So I I looked behind him. His mom and dad were about 20 feet behind him. They were holding hands and just water streaming down their face. They were nodding that it was okay. So I looked back at this little kid and I said, why is this so important to you? He goes, well, because my little brother's dead. He said, I don't have a little brother anymore, Pastor. He said, I miss my little brother. He said, I want a little brother again. So he said, I talked to my mom and dad. He said, I'm going to cut grass and I'm going to rake leaves and I'm going to scrape up $39 so I can have a little brother again. Now, I know we all just met, but I just want to be as real as I can with you today, Solid Rock. If a 12-year-old boy can do this, there's not a person in this room that can't do it. We checked on him six months later, Pastor, still doing it. You say, well, you know, 2019 was a rough year. You live in the United States of America. I don't need to say anything else. I could go right now to any city in this country. I could take a homeless person living under a bridge. They live like royalty compared to these children. $39 is not a round of golf. $39 is a pair of Nikes. Let's just get real today. If you were going to go to the movies this week to have fun, I'm not talking about doing something noble. I'm talking about, let's say you were going to go to the movies to be entertained for an hour and a half and you were going to splurge and get popcorn and candy. You can't even go to the movies for $39. $39 changes a child's life. Can I tell you what a dollar and a handful of nickels do a day? You probably have it in the cup holder in your car. It gives a child the five things that they need that turn their life around. For 39 bucks, they get food, they get clothing, they get medical care and vaccinations, they get an education, they get to go to school, and fifth and most importantly, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Five things that transform their life for what a lot of us spend every month on Starbucks. 
I'm not asking anyone in this room to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. That would make me a hypocrite. Uh, many of you don't know my wife's testimony. My wife and I can't have children together. Uh, Pastor Stephanie has always wanted children but can't have any. Uh, but how many of you know God always has a plan? And now she has seven. <laughs> and they're in seven different parts of the world. Did anybody see the movie War Room in here? Raise your hand if you saw that. Wow, powerful movie. Uh, we have a war room in our home. We have a room that is dedicated to prayer. Prayer requests are all over the wall. And all seven of our children are on that wall. My wife goes in every day and just lays hands on every picture and says, Lord, touch my babies today and help them to grow, help them to know more about you. Uh, she writes to them. They write to her. Uh, Pastor, we got quite a thrill in uh, Africa. In December, we were in Nairobi, and we got to meet face-to-face -face a child that we've been sponsoring for five years. We got to hold him and hug him. Um, I'm going to ask someone in this room today... I'm going to ask all of you to do something bigger than yourself. The book of Proverbs says these words, don't discount it, it's powerful. It says, if a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. How many know it's not if you're going to have needs, it's when? Yes, I don't care how blessed you are. There's going to be times in your life when you need help. And I don't know about you, but I want to know. And if I come to the Lord, he's going to say to me, Michael, I can see over and over and over where you were not deaf to the needs of those around you. So now that you're in need, I'm going to come to the rescue for you. I'm going to ask my brothers to come down to the front and help me uh, and face the audience. Pastor, I brought children of every age from seven or eight different parts of the world that would make Birmingham, Alabama look like the wealthiest place on the planet. This is maybe the part where some of you are gonna go, oh, I'd like a little girl, I'd like a little boy. I don't do it that way. I don't do it that way. I packed up these children yesterday in Dallas, Texas, and as I packed them in my suitcase, First Lady, I said to myself, Lord, give the child to the person that that person needs you give the person to the child that that child needs and the story man i could blow y'all away with stories i've had women come to me and say i'm a nurse i sponsor a little girl she wants to be a nurse i've had people say my birthday is their birthday we had a person in uh, charlotte north carolina that lost a child in an automobile accident on December 23rd. They randomly raised, they randomly were, uh, were handed a child that was born on December 23rd. On a funnier note, I was in Wyoming. I was at a biker church. The pulpit was a Harley Davidson. It was amazing. And uh, y'all, this guy came up to me and he was a man's man. When I say he was a man's man, this brother was like 6'10". 450 huge dude had this big duck dynasty beard leather tattoos piercing dude's crying like he's a five-year-old i looked over i was like bro are you okay he's like pastor he said i wrecked my harley davidson two years ago he said i laid my bike down two years ago he said man for two years i've been asking god to give me another harley and he sponsored a little boy and his name was harley <laughs> he said it wasn't the harley that i was praying for he said but i think i love this one more Last but not least, I know some of you are probably saying, well, if I do this, I got to do it for a long time, right? I'm locked in. You're not locked into anything. You could sponsor a child for two months. You could sponsor a child for 10 years. You could sponsor more than one child. You could sponsor uh, four months, 10 months, nine years, four years. There's no time frame. But every month that you do this, 
You're giving a child a chance that they will never have. Some of you, if you've got a family of five, you can go to Chick-fil-A tomorrow for lunch. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, you know what? I could literally go out to eat one time less a month, change the life of a child. All I'm going to have you do is raise your hand. They're going to come put one in your hand. It's that simple. Would you do that right now? Just raise your hand if you'd like to help. Guys, just begin to slowly make your way back if you would. And uh, keep your hand up. Ushers, put one in their hand. I don't care if you have to wave at them, snap your fingers at them, whistle at them. Get their attention any way that you can. And just keep your hand up until one is in your hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, ushers. Thank you, thank you. Don't want to miss anybody. Wave it, ma'am, in the very back. Thank you right there. Anybody else? Anybody else? We got some in the sound booth. Got one in the very back. Girlfriend is waving in the very, very back. Anybody else? Don't want to miss anybody. Right here in the front row. Brother, thank you. Anybody else? Don't want to miss anybody. Thank you. I know you're all very anxious to look at the child. I'm going to have you look at me for a second. In your hands is a child. I have no other record of this child. It's the only record that I have. If you'll look in the middle, you'll see that there's an area for you to fill out. This will be one of the few times that a preacher will give you permission to fill something out while I'm preaching. But while I'm preaching today, fill this out. Then after the service, I have a table in the lobby. Come out there, meet me. I'll tear this page out. You'll be on your way. Here's the most important thing that I will say. Look in my glasses right now. If you took this child right now, and after the service, you leave this building with this, and I don't have this middle page, you've officially kidnapped my child. <laughs> Amen. And I... Yeah, and I don't want that. So please, please take just a few moments, fill it out. I know some of you are saying right now, hey, he's got my credit card information. You know, is that safe? Folks, this ministry has been around since 1954. They're the most reputable ministry on the planet. Compassion International came to one child and said, can you teach us how to do what you do? They're audited every year on purpose to make sure that they have integrity and to be above reproach. Your information is safe. Uh, so meet me afterwards. I'll tear that page out, and then you're going to keep this. This is just an overview. Then in about a month, you're going to get a whole packet. Everything you need to know about your child, things that you can do, things that you can't, things that you can send them, things that you can't. But I can promise you, when you get a letter in the mail saying, thank you for my food, thank you for letting me go to school, thank you for telling me about Jesus, you are messed up forever. Can we make some noise for these children today? Thank you so much for helping us. It is very much a passion of ours, and uh, ironically, we are talking about passion today. And so I want you to take the hand of the person next to you right now. Uh, and a lot of times, you know, we say, hey, let's pray together, and we don't really pray. I'm not asking you to, to not just sit there and listen to me pray. I want you to lift your voice with me. Lift it up. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for Solid Rock Church. I thank you for the leadership. Father, I thank you for everyone in this room today. I thank you that SRC already touched the world, and I didn't even, and I didn't even preach yet. Father, I pray that you would uh, give us an impartation because, Father, uh, give us an expectation. Without expectation, there is no impartation. Father, expectation is the breeding ground for miracles. And so, Lord, uh, thank you for last week and last month, but we're not satisfied with the blessings of the past. We want you to do it again. Do it again in our hearts and do it again in our lives. And after it's all been said and done and we leave this building today, let us know that we know that we know we've been in your house. Let us know we've been in your presence. We believe it and receive it. In Jesus' name, and everyone said...
Put your hands together one more time for the King of Kings. Come on. Give, oh, no, really. Real praise. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, my brother. Hallelujah. How many feel good? Raise your hand. How many look good? Raise your hand. How many know the person next to you lied? It's okay. Go ahead. Raise your want to give you today, it's not a long word, but it is a strong word. want to talk about passion. Will you shout that out? One, two, three. Come on, with an attitude. One, two, three. I'm going to say this. I think it's going to get an amen. I'm not saying it to get an amen. It's just the truth. Our world is jacked up. And I'm not just talking about because Bruce wanted to go on and be Caitlin, okay? I'm not just talking about that. I'm not talking about just same-sex marriage or racism. I'm talking about our world is racked with AIDS and rape and gangs and drive-by shootings, government corruption, drug addiction, alcoholism, pornography, on and on and on the list goes. The Ten Commandments have been thrown out. Prayer is out of schools. There are now denominations that are ordaining, practicing homosexual. We're going the wrong way. So now more than ever, you as a church have got to rise up and say, man, what is my passion? What, what was I created for? What was I called to do? So I want to present to you this message today, and the message I've entitled it, Just Jump. Will you shout that with me? One, two, three. Just Jump. Come on. Attitude. One, two, three. You got to figure out your calling. You got to figure out your calling. So when you look at your life, rather than saying, well, this is what I was educated in, or rather than saying, well, this is what people tell me I'm good at, I'm asking you, what is it in your life that when you do it, you go, man, this is what I was created to do? Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, powerful verse. I'll quote it and put it up. It says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Someone say good works that God prepared in advance is our way of life. Isn't that a mind blower? Church, the reason you were created was to do good works. But here's the kicker. The Bible says that God prepared in advance. So the, there's, there's something in your life that when you do it, there's got to be something in your gut that says, you know what, I was born to do this. I was created to do this. We are his workmanship. The living Bible says we are his masterpiece. I like that. God created you. He made you a masterpiece. He made you a one of a kind. But the Bible says he created you. He made you this amazing masterpiece in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared in advance. The reason God created you was to do amazing things that are already there in your future. You ain't even got to pray about it. You just got to step into it and do it. So you got to figure out your calling. What is it in your life that when you do it, you say, you know what? I was born to do this. I was created to do this. There's an old movie out there called Chariots of Fire. How many remember that movie? Raise your hand. Lachi, how many don't know Chariots of Fire? Yeah, because you weren't born. But anyway, Chariots of Fire. Chariots of Fire, is a fa it's, a, it's a movie uh, about a family of missionaries. They're in ministry. It's an Oscar award-winning movie, Oscar award-winning musical score. Every several years we have the Olympics. They play the Chariots of Fire theme. Uh, the family is in ministry, but one of the young men, his passion is to run. That's what he wants to do. His dream is to run in the Olympics. And so he gets up every day and he runs and he trains and he runs and he trains. And there's a scene in him. Man, if y'all haven't seen this, you've a Hulu, Netflix, do whatever you got to do just to see this one scene. He ticks off his family. They're annoyed at this passion that he has to pursue this dream to run in the Olympics. And so in the movie, he has a collision with them, and they come and they confront him, and they say these words, why do you run all the time? You get up every day, and you run and run and run and train and run, and you are so consumed by this dream to run in the Olympics, you're supposed to be a missionary. And he looks his family dead in the eye, and what he says is amazing. Looks them dead in the eye and says, but when I run, I feel God's pleasure. 
Church, what is it in your life that when you do it, you feel God's pleasure? Because that's the call of God on your life. I used to think the opposite. I used to think God called you to do stuff you hated doing. Because I always heard Christians whine and gripe. And go, Can I say that Christians are the biggest, fattest babies on the face of the planet? I don't want to get too personal with you good people. But I can go to a bar and take a drunk and he can handle problems better than church folks. You're like, what do you mean, Reverend? Have you ever asked a Christian, how's it going? Worst mistake of your life. <laughs> How you doing today? Well, I'll make it, I guess. Who'd want to follow your sorry excuse? How's it going today? Well, I'm greeting people here at Solid Rock. I hate it, but I'm doing it for Jesus. Hey, can you help us out on the worship team? Well, I guess so. Hey, can you help us out in the youth ministry? Well, I guess so. Hey, can you help us out in the child care? Well, okay. And I'm like, man, God must call you to do stuff that's awful. Because I always heard Christians whine and gripe and complain. And I'm not saying that there aren't hard moments. And I'm not saying that there aren't times that you and I won't struggle. What I'm saying is God doesn't call you to do something that he didn't create you to do. And when you do it, you'll sense that it's right. And you'll sense that that's who you are. You'll sense that that's who you were created to be. When I started ministry back in 19, none of your business, um, I graduated Bible college. I went to a little town uh, in Arkansas, northwest Arkansas. Uh, it was an Assembly of God church. And uh, I started youth ministry right there in early years of my ministry. And the pastor that founded the church uh, he was just like your pastor. There's never been another pastor. 25 years. Give it up for your pastor and the first lady. Come on, wild applause. How many know you ought to thank God for your pastors? Because they're God's gift to the church. And so this pastor, he was just like Pastor Larry. You founded the church. But Pastor Larry, he had a passion for Mexico. Uh, he wanted to see Mexico saved. So when he founded the church, they matched it and built a sister church in Mexico. But it didn't stop there. He went to his congregation and his board at the very get-go and said, as long as we exist, every year that we exist, we will every year build another church in Mexico. And so the next year they did it again, the third, the fourth, the fifth, it was always the same. Got up every year in January and said, folks, time to build another church in Mexico. And everybody would applaud. And he would cast vision. They would take pledges. All through the year when the pledges came in, uh, they would take that, uh, the, the money in the fall, uh, they would assemble a team together, take that money, go over to Mexico. Uh, they'd use the money to build a, you know, Pastor, kind of like a metal building, like a temporary building. They'd throw it up, they'd get a couple of missionaries in place, uh, have a two-week revival, and build a church. They built over 73 churches. Come on, somebody, for the kingdom of God in Mexico. Now, when I say they went to uh, Mexico to build a church, please know they didn't go to the beach and play volleyball and pass out tracks and call it a trip. They went to the ghetto. They went to the vadio. They went to the places where there was no running water and little kids' stomachs were swelled out and people were living in cardboard boxes. I'm talking about the real deal. Now, again, in my younger years, I was a youth pastor, and so every year, some of my students would always want to go. They'd always come to me and say, Pastor Michael, I want to go to Mexico. Oh, can I please go? And I was always very leery about letting a teenager go because how I many of you know teenagers don't really uh, work? Can I get a what, what? I mean, come Ask my daughter, clean your room. She's like, ah, like ask her to don donate her liver or something. My son comes to me, Dad, I got a callus. I'm like, yeah, from the PS4, but it's not from digging a ditch. They're still kind of working out that work ethic thing. But I got to tell y'all, I'd let them go. I'm not even going to lie to y'all. SRC, man, that first day, they were out there working. They were out there working. Man, that first day, they were out there handing somebody a hammer. They were helping build a header. Man, they had a bag of quick crete in their hand. They were pushing along a wheelbarrow. I'm telling you, man, that first day, them students were working. That second day, <laughs> it was always about that third day. 
they're all running around out in the streets and, you know, they're playing with little kids and they're passing out toothbrushes, you know, as gifts. And I know some of you are like, toothbrush is not a gift. Well, they're not spoiled like we are here in Alabama. They had toothbrushes and they were glad to have them. We gave a kid a can of Coke. How many of y'all have today? Like 12? We gave, a kid, we gave a kid a can of Coke. We saw him three days later. He still had the can of Coke in his hand. He'd not even opened it. This little dude was walking around with a can of soda like it was a piece of gold or something. So now no longer were my students building the physical church, you know, with like wood and nails. But you better know they were building a church because they were loving kids. And they were swinging little kids around like this. And they were bouncing them around their shoulders. And they were putting on puppet shows and blowing up balloon animals. And so one of my students, her name was Allison. She was only 16 years old, came home from the trip. She is hyped. She comes up. She's like, Pastor Michael, now I know. I'm like, what are you talking about? She said, now I know. I said, what do you mean? She said, now I know what I'm supposed to do with my life. And I said, what? She said, play with kids. Isn't that amazing? And I said, really? And she said, yeah. And all of a sudden. The call of God on her life was some great big thing that she didn't even know was there. The call of God on her life was to love children, was to play with children, was to be with children. Are you ready for this? She is now the children's pastor at my home church, pastoring 400 kids every single Sunday. Come on, somebody. Sometimes God moves in ways that will blow you away. So I'm asking you, what do you love to do? What are you passionate about? You say, well, you know, I'm people, I didn't ask what people told you. What do you love to do? You say, well, I've taken some classes. I didn't ask you what your education was in. What do you love to do? What are you passionate about? You say, well, what I'm passionate about, Pastor, you know, it's not, you know, it's not really churchy. I didn't ask you if it was churchy. What do you love to do? Because when you find that thing, that could very well be the call of God on your life. All right, this better get the biggest amen of the day. It better shake the room. Are you ready? Everybody in this room is amazing. God is not in the business of making little carbon copy, cookie cutter, itty bitty, ticky tacky little Christians. We all look the same and dress the same and smell the same and worship the same and read our Bible. God made you amazing. God made you one of a kind. He made you a master. He would never duplicate you. When God created you, he looked at you and said, I'll never do that again. So see, you were amazing. Amen? I had a uh, guy in our church. His name was Jason. Jason was very passionate, too. Uh, he loved to beat people up. <laughs> no, I'm serious. That's what he's passionate about. He loved fighting. <laughs> like, he was fighting all the time. There was not a week went by that he was not beating the snot out of somebody. He just was passionate about fighting. He decided to make it his job. He's an MMA fighter. Does that make a little bit more sense now? <laughs> Once you think he's in Walmart <laughs> punching people in the face. <laughs> Do we have any UFC fans? Come on, UFC fans. Come on now. Like me some UFC. Not into boxing. I think boxing's for cream puffs. You want to know why? Because they put pillows on their hands. If you're going to be a man, get in the octagon and punch someone in the face. These boxers, I'm tough. Really got pillows on your hands. Got sequin draws on. Dance around like that the whole time. I watched that Pacquiao fight in Mayweather. He hugged that guy more than I hugged my wife, right? So if you're going to be a man, get in the octagon and punch someone in the face. But how many know God always has a plan? And I had two born-again, spirit-filled MMA fighters in my church. Well, they invited Jason to our church. Now, 
SRC, Jason had never been to church in his entire life. I'm not, he had never darkened the door, but he didn't know if Matthew was in the Old Testament, the New Testament, or the bulletin, okay? He had no idea. He didn't know a chorus from a hymn, a tithe from an offering. He'd never, he even used to joke with me and go, uh, preacher, uh, I was out at the club last night. If I come in here, the walls may cave in. I don't think, that. and I was just like, dude, you know, we just love you. Come on in our church. He came to our church. He liked our church. He liked the vibe of our church. So he kept coming. It was kind of funny. He started in the back, right? But after about a month, he'd move up a little bit. After about a month, he'd move up a little bit. After about three months, he's sitting on the front row. Well, we had a comedy night at our church, just like we're going to have here tonight. By the way, it's not just jokes. Tonight is a soul-winning night. And I'll explain that in a little while. But we had a comedy night at our church. Well, about 2,700 people showed up. 2,700. Our church was packed. 700 people came down to the altar to give the hearts to Jesus. First one ran down. Jason threw his drugs all over the altar, gave his heart to Jesus Christ. It was awesome. Now it's funny because now every time Jason had a fight, he would call me for prayer. All right? Like, he called me on the phone, ring, ring. I'm like, hello. He's like, hey, pastor, guess what? I said, what's up, man? He said, I got to fight tomorrow night. I said, dude, that's awesome. He's like, would you pray for me? Uh, he's, you're my pastor. Would you pray for me? I said, absolutely, man. How can I agree with you? He said, man, pray that I crush that guy's face. How do you do I don't even know how to do that. Lord, help him crush his face in the name of Jesus. I can't do that. So I would just say, Lord, through his training, his abilities, help him to be victorious. You know, just something. Throw the dude a bone. Whatever. Anyway. Spike TV has a show on called The Ultimate Fighter. They asked Jason to come on the show. So Solid Rock, everything is going right in Jason's life. He's tithing. He's serving. He's volunteering. He's reading his Bible. He's growing in the Lord. He's getting his great career opportunities. So all of a sudden, he got a title fight. Mark Cuban, you know him from the Dallas Mavericks, Shark Tank. He has a thing downtown Dallas called HD Net Fights. If you win a fight there, it can catapult your career. It, it's your gateway into the UFC. And so he got a title fight. Bunch of us from the church, we all just caravan downtown, watched him fight. That night he fought, won, got the belt. Four months later, flashback, and he calls me, ring, ring. I'm like, hello. He's like, hey, pastor, guess what? I said, what's up, man? He said, I'm starting a Bible study. I said, man, it's awesome at the church. He's like, nope, in the octagon. I'm like, what? He said, I'm starting a Bible study in the octagon. I said, what do you mean? He said, pastor, I'm the champ. He said, I got the belt. He said, now that I got the belt, guys want me to train them. He said, but I decided I'm not going to train them until they come to my Bible study. So they're coming to the Bible study, getting saved, then they punch each other out. How cool is that? I got another friend, his name is Jimmy, and this cat's a freak. <laughs> You're like, don't be so harsh. No, I'm serious, this dude is a freak. Got like 14 different colors in his hair. You're like, you're not down with colored hair? Love it, just pick one, right? It's like, literally, it's like blue, green, yellow, purple. It looks like My Little Pony, Strawberry Shortcake, and Disneyland just vomited right on top of his head. Multiple colored hair. Okay, he's got this thing on his face, <laughs> okay? You're like, you're just like, is it a beard? It's not a beard. You're like, oh, it's a goatee. Nope. <laughs> it's... It's like a Fu Manchu, right? This long Fu Manchu, and it's braided on his chin. His braid is yellow and green, right? So just, I'm, I'm giving you the picture. Like, multiple colored hair, braided Fu Manchu, black fingernails, tattoos, piercings, gauges. He's 56. That's the funniest part of this whole story. Okay. He's got this band. <laughs> How can I explain this band to you guys? Okay. It's, it's, it's metal. It's like a metal band, but it's Christian but it's rap. <laughs> so literally, it's like the, Ga the Gaithers met Lil Wayne. You know, <laughs> it's weird. It's like put together like Lorna Hart, Sandy Patty, Toby Mag, Casting Crowns, throwing a little Limp Biscuit kiss and 50 Cent. I don't know. It's weird. So just know it's metal and it's rap, but it's Jesus. Got it? 
All right, he calls me up one night. Ring, ring. I'm like, hello. He's like, hey, pastor, what are you doing next Saturday? I'm like, dude, I'm just chilling. He's like, bro, you need to come to one of our joint nights. I'm like, I don't smoke weed anymore. He's like, no, not, not a joint. He said a joint night. I said, bro, I was born in the 60s. I don't know what a joint means to you, but I can tell you what a joint means to me. So this brother had to explain to me a joint night. Okay, church, a joint night is when they take their band, they get on a flatbed trailer, they roll into a Walmart parking lot and just put on a concert. Literally, they just roll in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what they do. <laughs> like, have you seen those, like, YouTube flash mobs, you know, that just, like, show up in malls? It's like that. It's like a pop-up concert, right? So I'm like, I'm down. Next Saturday night, we roll in. We're in the middle of Kansas, right? Kansas. Make Birmingham look like New York City, all right? These people, like, they don't even have ice, right? They lost the recipe. It's a tiny little town. And so we roll into a Walmart parking lot, literally just like I said, right in the middle. No one's around. They flap down the truck. They turn up all these speakers like ear bleed. They're putting on all this leather and chains and putting black lipstick on this, make eye makeup. And I look around. I was like, dude, there's nobody here. He's like, you need to wait for it. I'm like, dude, there's nobody here. He's like, you need to wait for it. I was like, man, did you even ask for permission? He's like, no, we'll ask for forgiveness. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Wow. Whatever way you roll. So they start this church. I don't even know. It was like, I couldn't even, every now and then I catch the word Jesus. It was like, Jesus. I'm like, Jesus. I caught that right there. He said, Jesus. So they're like, Jesus. And I'm telling y'all, these millennials came out of the cracks and crevices like roaches at a cheap motel. It was ridiculous. Come out flipping around on their skateboards. They're smacking into one another, punching each other. I'm backing up like, wow, I'm scared. Like, it was crazy. Within 20 minutes, there were 200 students in the middle of this Walmart parking lot. After he rocks out for about 30 minutes, he throws down his guitar, picks up his Bible, starts talking about how he got out of gangs and, and, and drug addiction and pornography. He starts passing out the book of John. I saw a kid get saved and baptized in the Holy Ghost in the middle of a Walmart parking lot. Come on, somebody. That's awesome. He said, I don't know. Shut up. They'd never come to your church. But that's his thing. Amen. That's not my thing. That's his thing. And how many of you know he's touching people that we can't? You can touch someone that I can't. I can touch someone that you can't. So I'm asking you, what do you love to do? Because when you find that thing, that could very well be the call of God on your life. Can I get a big amen? amen. Do you remember the disciples in Matthew chapter 16? I remember because it's right here in my notes. <laughs> the Bible says that the disciples had been following Jesus for about a year and a half They'd seen Jesus do some incredible things. Isn't it amazing how we get desensitized to the word of God? I'm serious. Don't sit there and act like you don't know what I'm talking about. Do you remember when you first got saved? You remember how excited you were? Do you remember when you came to church and you were reading the Bible and you heard, you read all these miracles of Jesus? And you were like, wow, he did that. He made the lame walk and the blind see. And you were just blown away. But you know what happens after a while? We get adjusted. We do. We get acclimated. It doesn't hold the same punch as when we first got saved. When we, we go to church and we kind of we get glazed over, and it just doesn't impact us the way that it used to. Like I can say, Jesus walked on water. <laughs> you just validate my point. I got two amens. One was the pastor, and it was kind of lame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then somebody over here, yeah. You should have went nuts. You want to know why it's a, it's a miracle. It's unbelievable. I'm going to say it again. 
And you're going to go nuts like you should the first time. I'll even do it old COG camp meeting style. I want y'all to know there was a man. His name was Jesus. And he walked away. He raised the dead. He cast out devils. He spoke to a man. He said, peace be. Sit down, sit down. He fed a multitude. You're like, I know, 5,000. No, 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 no. It was just the men. Did you know if you talk to theologians and historians and you include women and children, and if you just go by two children per family, biblical days, many more. But if you just went by two, 20,000 people with a happy meal, that's ridiculous. You get a family of five, you can't go to Pizza Hut for 50 bucks. He feeds a stadium of people with a kid's sack lunch. And the disciples are getting to hang out with this man. How many know if you're the disciples and you're getting to hang out with Jesus, you got to be feeling pretty good about yourself. You're hanging out with the Son of God. That's a pretty cool hang. You ever met somebody famous and their fame kind of rubbed off on you? Like, I don't know, you ever just see somebody, maybe, I don't know, like a sports figure. I don't know, maybe you're in a mall and you saw Tua or something. You're like, oh, and just got freaked out. And you just ever see somebody, I don't know, maybe they're on television or something. You saw them in an the airport. You're like, oh, he's got... I used to think people like this were losers. I just got to be honest. I used to think people like, come on, people. They're just people, okay? Get a hold of yourself, right? It's not a big deal. Like, I don't know how it is here in Alabama, but can I tell you in Texas, NASCAR is a big deal, okay? Folks, I'm not, I'm not even playing with y'all. These people are crazy, unbelievable fans. Texas Motor Speedway is 20 minutes from my church. It holds two. 150,000 people in the stands. You do understand an NFL game is about 70 to 85,000 people. You could take three NFL stadiums on any given Sunday, combine all three of those stadiums together, and that's just one race. They say the sheer adrenaline of these machines coming by rattles the rafters. It's got the second largest high-def screen in the world. It's a visceral experience. These people do not play. So a guy comes to my church. He's got on a NASCAR jacket. Not a big deal, right? What made it a big deal was Dale Earnhardt Jr. had signed it right here with a paint pen. The dude is geeking out. Look at that, Look at that right there. Past preacher. Look at that. Dale Earnhardt. I'm like, what is your problem, dude? He's just a dude. He puts on his pants one leg at a time like all of us, right? Get over yourself, right? <laughs> Then it happened to me. <laughs> Can I tell you the story? I'm downtown Chicago. I'm sitting in a Starbucks, and Michael Jordan comes and stands right next to me. And I'm like, <laughs> freaking out. <laughs> Went home, did a conference in Branson, Missouri. Does anybody, everybody ever been to Branson, Missouri? Right? We all know Branson. It's like the Christian Vegas. Anyway, I'm in... <laughs> I'm in Branson, Missouri. It's my first conference I ever got to do with John Hagee and T.D. Jakes, right? Yeah, I'm sitting in the back. It's me and there's John Hagee. It's T.D. Jakes! T.D. Jakes! And there's a little voice in my head going, you were the weakest one. Goodbye. I'm thinking, what am I even doing standing here with these great men? 
Got on a plane, headed over to uh, Hillsong, Australia, all right? Doing the Influencers Conference. Jensen Franklin's going to be there. The late Miles Monroe's going to be there. John Bevere's going to be there. Uh, and Joyce Myers, right? First time I ever got to do a conference with Joyce Myers. You should have seen the poster. Like, the poster was like her face. And my picture was down here by the copyright. <laughs> it was like, we're having Joyce Myers. By the way, Michael Rowan. I didn't even care. I was just glad to be on the poster. I'm in Australia. Guys, it's a big deal, man. There's going to be like 10,000 people there. Man, I'm sitting here talking to Jensen Franklin. Here comes over Tommy Tenney, John Bevere, all these great. And all of a sudden, downstairs, I'm all by myself. I got my little Bible, my little iPad. I'm all ready to go. It's a big deal. Bing, the elevator doors open up. Here comes this entourage of like 30 people. There's Joyce Myers. She sees me. She, walk, she walks over and says, aren't you Michael Rowan? I said, yes, ma'am. She goes, wow, what an honor. I've heard so much about you. And I was like, well, you know, you're Joyce Myers. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Freaking out. So is anybody familiar with the Brownsville Revival? Say amen. Well, that was my church. And God chose on Father's Day 1995 to destroy the way we thought church should be done. He turned our church upside down. We had 9 million people come from all over the world, half a million salvations. Folks, I saw people wait 17 hours to get into church. John Kilpatrick was the pastor, and I was the staff evangelist. I did a conference with a, a brother from Harare, Zimbabwe. His name is Bishop Tudor Bismarck. The dude is amazing. He's amazing. He's an Oxford grad, brilliant man. We became friends. I told John Kilpatrick, got to get Bishop here. He said, Michael, I trust you. Make it happen. We did some calls. I called Bishop on the phone. We flew him in from Harare, Zimbabwe to Pensacola, Florida. I'm setting up the stage. That night, the place is packed. Thousands of people. I'm on the front row. Lyndall Cooley, the great worship leader, right next to me. John Kilpatrick, the late Steve Hill. Bishop Tudor's up on the stage, got on his African robe. He's thundering away, preaching and prophesying. Right in the middle of his message, he stops. And he looks over at me, and he says, Michael, stand up. That's what he sounds like. <laughs> he said, Michael, stand up. So I stood up. He said, Michael, put your hands out like this. So I put my hands out like this. Yeah. He said, Michael, I'm putting my hands forward. He said, my hands are forward because God has given me a prophetic word for you. He said, your hands are like this because you're going to receive it. He said, Michael, Hollywood is going to open up to you. He said, celebrities are going to come to your path. People of fame and fortune, people of notoriety, people that the world is clamoring to touch and talk to. God's going to give you divine encounters with some of these famous people. You're going to be able to share with them your testimony. You're going to be able to share with them Jesus Christ. Receive it right now. And I went, whatever, because I'm thinking seriously. Hollywood, celebrities, Bishop, you missed it this time. Y'all ready for this? He put his hands out to give me the word. I put my hands like this to receive it. I'm not even joking with y'all. The next six or seven weeks, I got on an airplane. A major celebrity sat down right next to me. So I get on a plane. I'm in the back. I'm in coach, back by the bathrooms. They're throwing peanuts at me, telling me to shut up. Lady comes up and says, are you Reverend Michael Rowan? I said, yes, ma'am. She goes, you've been upgraded to first class. I went, well, don't mind if I do. Someone say favor. How many of you know that happened six weeks in a row? How many of you know that don't happen ever? Not never. <laughs> but how many of you know it certainly don't happen no six weeks in a row? How many know that's a God thing? So I sit down in first class. This ain't going to mean nothing to you young folks, but to you old folks, it was Pete Rose. I was like, whoa, Pete Rose, man, I'm telling you, this man's almost a Hall of Famer. Pete Rose, 
He invented the front slide. Pete Rose. I get on the phone with my friend. I'm like, Pete Rose is sitting next to me. My friend's like, ask him if he's got a line on anything. No, he didn't say that. I'm sorry. I had to say it. I'm sorry it was right there. I had to take it. Get on the plane the next week. Sorry, young people. This means nothing to y'all, but it was Regis Philbin. All right, so... Instead of talking to Regis Philbin, get on the plane the next week, I get to you in a minute, young people, but <laughs> you old people, I was in London Heathrow Airport, and the Bee Gees sit down right next to me. I was freaking out. It's the Bee Gees. Get on the plane the next week. Sorry, old folks, <laughs> but it was Little John and the Yin Yang Twins. Now, I didn't even know who this was, right? So my arm bears with me. He's like, that's Little John. I was like, Little Flip. He's like, no, Little John. I was like, Little Wayne. He's like, no, Little John. I was like, what's he Yang? What's he Yang? Why is he little? Like, you know, I, I couldn't even process what was going on? I was in ATL. Go figure. <laughs> but there he was, man. Little John had on his flat bill, right? Had on his sunglasses, right? Had his crunk thing in his hand. Had his grill and his ice and his dress. He's like, ha, ha, ha. I looked over. I said, hey, man. He said, what? I said, how are you? He said, what? I said, how are you doing? He said, what? I said, how are you? He said, okay. It was crazy. Got on the plane the next week, Evander Holyfield, <laughs> former heavyweight champion of the world, sits down and starts talking to me, right? I'm talking to him, right? I'm trying not to stare at his ear, right? But I did. I was like, don't stare at his ear. Don't stare at his ear. But I stared at his ear. It's there. It's crazy. You know Evander's a born-again believer. You know that. I asked Evander to come to my church. He comes to my church. I got Evander, the real deal, Holyfield, ministering in my church. Afterwards, we're going out to get a bite to eat. I'm walking into a joint with Evander. I'm like, yeah, me and Evander, table for two because we're together. We're buddies. <laughs> get on plane next week, right? This dude gets on, right? Got on boots and a Harley Davidson t-shirt, big old belt buckle, right? Got on a black leather vest and hat. It was Travis Tritt. That's who it was. <laughs> Get on plane the next week. I'm not even kidding y'all. My staff was packing my bags going, well, Bishop, tell us who you're famous you're running to today. <laughs> so get on a plane. Lady sits down next to me. And uh, all of a sudden, this light-skinned brother gets on the plane, right? Just light-skinned brother. Green-eyed. Dude, this dude was gorgeous. Now, I'm married to a woman. I'm just saying. The dude was fine. Hey, you got to give honor where honor's due. The dude was hot with two T's. It looked like he was photoshopped in real life. He was just a gorgeous human being. Dude with just light skin, brother, green eye, just shredded, man. Looked like his shirt was painted on. Had a six-pack. Had on his red bottoms and his Gucci luggage just walking down the aisle. And I was like, good Lord, that dude's fine. <laughs> All of a sudden, this lady next to me <laughs> loses her mind. She's all, <sighs> oh. I looked over and said, calm down. I'm just a preacher. <laughs> she said, don't you know? Don't you know? And I went, no. She said, man, that's Shamar Moore from Criminal Minds. Said, oh. Healing right now in Jesus' name. Healing to all the ladies. I guess he's on that show SWAT. I said, lady, I don't watch that. She goes, uh, he used to host Soul Train. I said, does it look like I watch Soul Train? She said, he was Malcolm on The Young and the Restless. I said, lady, I don't watch soap operas, but I ain't even going to lie to you people. I sat there and stared at Shamar the whole flight. Mm -mm 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 -mm. What's my point? My point is these are phony, paper, pathetic heroes. Yeah. They're just people. And we put them up on pedestals like they're amazing. 
And just because they can dunk a ball or just because they're on television or the movies or they wrote a book or they were on Oprah, we put them up on pedestals and say, man, look how amazing they are. What's my point? My point is the disciples were walking around with the son of the living God. Come on, somebody. And if I'm getting excited about Michael Jordan, how do you think the disciples felt walking into a town with Jesus? You think they walked in all on the low? They probably walked in, oh yeah, oh yeah, he Jesus, he Jesus. And he was like, shut up. <laughs> you think they walked into a town all discreet? They probably walked in, hey everybody, give me a J. <laughs> give me an E. <laughs> He's like, shut up. You're embarrassing me. Where's my keys? Come on up, brother. Come on up. Keys, keys, wherever you at. Then the little kids tried to come to Jesus. Remember that? Little kids tried to come to Jesus. Remember that? What did the disciples do? Hey, you kids, get out of here. It's Jesus Christ. He's famous. And I'm his friend. <laughs> and what did Jesus do? He goes, hey, you don't let those little kids come to me. You're out of the kingdom. And what did they do? Hey, kids, come here. He has candy. He sit on his lap. He has Tootsie Rolls. <laughs> and then Jesus gets them all together in Jerusalem. He says, hey, guys, I'm going to change up the way I've been doing everything. I know you've seen, you know, my dad do some cool stuff through me, and, and we've, we've, you know, touched a lot of people, but I'm going to flip the script here, and, and I'm going to come to Jerusalem, and I'm going to die here. And the disciples go, well, wait a second, Jesus, you're just like 30-something years old. I mean, people are just starting to hear about you. We're going to wipe out the Romans. You're going to be the king, right? And he says, no. I came here to Jerusalem, and I came here to die, and he did. And as the music begins to play and I close, I have a feeling this morning that we're a lot like the disciples. See, the disciples wanted Jesus to keep on walking them down the yellow brick road, and Jesus said, you want to follow me? you got to follow me down the Via Della Rosa. You see, when Jesus was around, the disciples felt safe. When Jesus was around, the disciples felt secure. When Jesus, oh, come on, people, he was a celebrity. He was raising people from the dead. He was walking on, he was speaking to Mother Nature and telling her to chill. He was spitting on the ground and, and popping blind eyes, and the disciples are there. And so you know the disciples had to probably be like, man, we got Jesus with us. He's the Son of God. We can do anything in the world. But then when, the, when Jesus said, I have to go away. They're going to pull out my beard in fistfuls. They'll spit in my face. They'll put a scepter in my hand and call me the king. They'll give me 39 lashes. They'll murder me on a cross. Then they started freaking out. Let me tell you something, SRC. Jesus is not always the one that walks you down the yellow brick road. Sometimes you want to follow Jesus, you've got to follow him to the cross. The call of the Christian faith is not to stay in the safe zone. The call of the Christian faith is to allow God to push some of you out into areas of risk and danger and challenge. Yes, it may make you uncomfortable. Yes, it may stretch you. Yes, it may challenge you. But that's why you were created. He created you, Ephesians says, and made you a masterpiece. And he created you to do what? Good works. Say with me. Good works that God prepared for you to live out the rest of your life. Who would have ever thought that my friend Jimmy, <laughs> with his metal rock rap, would lead young people to Jesus that may never darken the door of a church? 
Who would have ever thought that my friend Jason would lead people to Jesus in an octagon? Who would have ever thought that my friend Annie would ever do anything for Jesus? Annie was a prostitute in Las Vegas. Real good friend of mine. She was uh, beaten and abused, sex trafficked, pimped out, sold like a piece of trash. She told me, Michael, on a good day, I don't know if you'd ever call it a good day, but in that profession, she said sometimes 8, 10, 14 men in a day for a hundred bucks. She told me one time, she said, Pastor Michael, you ever uh, counsel couples that couldn't get past the other's past? <laughs> I knew what she was doing, but I couldn't lie. So I said, well, Annie, you know, I've had couples that had pasts and caused struggle in their marriage. What do you mean, Pastor? I said, Annie, all right, if you want me to be honest, I've had a man and a woman sit in my office, and I've had, I've had the man look at me and go, well, you know, she's married three times, three of the marriages. I'm not her first. Nowhere near her first. I said, Annie, I've had women sit in my office and put her finger out and to her spouse or fiance and go, well, you know, he... Uh, he wolfed around and slept around. I'm not his first. I'm like his fourth, or I'm his fifth, or I'm their second, or I'm their third, or I'm the, oh, God forbid, I'm their tenth. She looked at me, and tears just began to pour, and she goes, Pastor, could you ever imagine God bringing someone into your life? She said, I want love. I want a family. I want someone to look past my past. She said, what, what do you do when... You have to look at somebody and say, you're not my first. You're not my hundredth. You might, you might not even be my thousandth. Who's going to love me? How could God ever use me? But you know what? She would get saved. And she would get filled with the Holy Ghost. And she would find a man that looked past her past. And she would get married. And she is married. And she started a ministry. Are you ready for this? called hookers for jesus so i was like oh wow wow annie <laughs> wow let's call it prostitutes for the lord or something she said no that's what i was she said that's what i was and she started hookers for jesus and joyce myers found out about it and then the 700 club found out about it and now she travels all over the world ministering and she opened up destiny house and she wrote a book called Fallen. And are you ready for this? You know what she is every night? Down on that Vegas Strip. Ripping girls out of prostitution. Ripping girls out of sex trafficking. Ripping girls out of the adult industry. Why? Because that's what she's passionate about. Sit down, sit down, sit down. I sound like Eddie Long right there. Sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. What are you passionate about? What has God called you to do? Because when you find that thing, that could be the call of God on your life. But we can't do that, can we? Because we're so busy, aren't we? 
we can't fulfill the purposes and the plans that God has for our life because we're just so busy all the time. But I gotta go here, I gotta go there, I gotta do this, I gotta do that. Well, you know, my kids, I got my kids, I got this, I got baseball, I got football, I got T-ball, I got soccer, I got this, I got cheerleading, I gotta go here, I gotta go there, I gotta go to the bank, I gotta go to make deposits, I gotta go to the post office, I gotta go to the dry cleaner, I gotta go there, I gotta troll those laundry, I gotta get dinner. Enough! We are so consumed with the bubble of our own life. We can't impact somebody standing three feet away from us standing in a target line because you're so consumed with the bubble of your own life. So I close today with a true story. I didn't get this off a website. I didn't read it out of a book. It didn't come from a blog. This is real. It happened. Jason Crabb and the Crabb family, incredible gospel singers. And Jason, a powerful man of God, preacher himself, told me a story. He said, Michael, he said, it happened in, uh, if you're familiar with like Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, Gatlinburg, that area, Morristown. Uh, there's a little town about an hour from there, and it's a quaint little town. No police, no nothing. Every house is like blue and pink and red and yellow and little white picket fences. Everybody has a dog and a cat and two kids and a minivan. You know, it's just one of those quaint little towns that nothing bad had ever happened in that town. No crime, no corruption, just a Pleasantville true story says that one night in the middle of that perfect little neighborhood in that perfect little town a fire broke out in a house and literally even moments because of the materials that the house was built in smoke and flames literally 360 degrees around the house consumed it and came from the bottom to the top the dad woke up because he smelled smoke he threw on his house coat he alerted his wife they're running through the house grabbing kids and photo albums you could hear fire trucks in the distance but when they burst out the front doors ambulances and police were already there taped it off with that yellow tape people in the neighborhood were walking outside putting on their house coats looking at this inferno of smoke and flames and the dad's in a panic. Billy, Bobby, Tammy, where's Sarah? Where's Sarah? And all of a sudden, you're daddy. Dad looks up. His five-year-old daughter's in the top window of the house. True story. He starts to run into the house. The policeman collapse on top of him. They said, sir, you're, sir, you can't go in there. He said, my daughter's in there. They said, sir, it's about to implode. You could die. He goes, my daughter. They said, sir, we have fire trucks coming. They have ladders. We'll do the best we can, but you can't go in. He goes, my daughter's in there. And you can just hear, daddy, daddy. So the dad runs up as close to the flames as he can get. Literally smoke and flames just swirling around the house. And there's that little blonde-haired, pigtailed five-year-old at the window. Daddy? Daddy? He goes, baby, I'm right here. Baby, I'm right here. She goes, Daddy, where are you? Is that you? He goes, baby, I'm right here. Just jump. Just jump right now. She goes, Daddy, where are you? I, I'm burning. Daddy, it's burning my legs. Daddy, it's burning my legs. He goes, baby, just jump. Just jump. And she says, Daddy, I can't see you. He gets as close to the flames as he can, and he says, baby, I can see you. Just jump. I don't know where you are today in your marriage. I don't know what the temperature is between you and your kids. I don't know if you're battling an addiction or maybe you're sad or maybe you have a lack of peace or you have questions. But can I tell you, I came on an assignment from Dallas, Texas to tell somebody here in Alabama that the enemy is a master at putting smoke and flames around your life, putting you in a place where you feel like you can't see God, but he sees you. He sees you. 
He knows right where you are. I can't imagine how terrifying. Can you imagine how terrifying for a five-year-old to just literally jump out into flames? But I can promise you her father would have caught her. But she never did. She never did. She, she perished. You want to know why? Because she just couldn't put enough trust in the voice of her father. If she would just have jumped. And maybe you're here today. God, can we just be real today? Can we just be real for a second? Have you ever been to church and felt like everybody was getting touched but you? Do you ever go to church and pastor gets up and come home shout and the worship team and people are being prophesied over and altar call? Just you didn't feel anything. Did you ever see people's hands up and you like literally tried? You're like, <laughs> did, you ever, did you ever like read your Bible and it was like nothing? Did you ever pray and like it was like your words were bouncing off the ceiling? Like, have you ever just been in a place where you're like, God, where are you? Where are you? I thought this Christianity thing was gonna be so great. I thought this thing was gonna solve all my problems, and that's what you thought. You thought Christianity was some great big problem solver. You know what? I used to have a problem with porn, but now I go to solid rock. Poof, I don't have that problem anymore. I used to have a problem with drugs and alcohol. I was an angry person, but you know what? Now I know Jesus. Poof, I don't have that problem anymore. I don't know about you, but I find when I get about one or two problems in my life solved, there's about three or four others that pop up in this place. You know what? That's called life. And you have to understand that Christianity is not about solving all your problems. Is he the answer? Absolutely, he's the answer to all my problems and all of my questions. But let me give you a newsflash. All your questions don't always get answered. It's a mystery that we need to explore. And I come here to SRC and I love Jesus. And even though you may have some struggles in your life and you feel like you can't see God, that's when you say, God, I'm just going to jump. I'm just going to jump out by faith because even if I can't see you, I know that the word tells me that you are there. You're watching me. You're looking at me. Some of you right now, some of you right now are in a place where you're like, that's me, preacher. I love God. I try to pray. I try to read my Bible. I do come here to Solid Rock, but... Sometimes he feels so far away. But I came to tell somebody today, he sees you. He's looking at you. And even though the enemy has put flames and smoke around your life, I believe the Father is like, I'll catch you. Just jump. Because I see the fear. I see the insecurity. I know that you're struggling with an addiction. I know you have questions. I know somebody's hurt you. Just jump. I don't know who this was for today. I don't know who this was for. But there will be no games today. I will not call the worship team up. I'm not going to have you stand. 
I'm not going to count to three. I'm not going to say the word now. I'm not going to play any games. If you say, Pastor, that's me. That's me. I know God has called me. I know he has great plans for me. I realize because of Ephesians 2.10, I am his masterpiece, and he's created great things for me to do. But sometimes I struggle because the, the enemy has put a smoke screen in between me and the Lord. If that's you, I want you to stand and come stand in front of me right now. I'll give you 10 seconds. 10, 9, 8, 7. Come on, get up. 6, 5, 4, 3. Just get up out of your seat. That ain't everybody. I'm not going to squeeze this out. I'm not going to turn it into something that it's not. Pastor, I see that. I see preachers do that. It wasn't enough. So then something else. It wasn't enough. Then something else. Then by the end of it, they're like, hey, you know what? If you've had back pain in the last 12 months, come forward. They just want a big response. I don't do that. But I believe that there, I believe there's some of you right now sitting on that audience and you know God has great things for you, but you have allowed the enemy to cloud your life in the way that you see the Lord. I don't want to exclude you from this. I'm, not, I'm just going to pray for you. I'll wait five more seconds if that's you. If that's you, just get up out of your seat, put aside your pride and your ego, and just come down, just come down front. Five. God bless you. God bless you. Four. Three. Two. God bless you. God bless you. One. Look at me. He sees you. If you leave with anything that I've said today, leave knowing that he sees you. He sees whatever brought you down to this altar. He sees. You are going to touch people that no one else can touch. That's why he created you. If you've ever wondered what your purpose is, wonder no longer. We are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared as a way of life. <laughs> he created all of you to do good works and he created you to do them as a way of life. Will you take the hand of the person next to you right now? Would you guys like to see something really cool? <laughs> This is going to be like an electrical current. I, oh, man. I, I, I believe in transfer. And what I mean by that is if she gets touched, she'll get touched. If these two get touched, she'll get touched. If these five get touched, these two will get touched. If you eight get touched, this whole line will get touched. That's just the way it works. I'm going to come and I'm going to start with our brother right here. And I'm going to anoint you. Listen, there's nothing magical about 
about what I do, but I can tell you I come from the Pensacola outpouring where millions upon millions upon millions of people encountered the power of God. Can I tell you, I was telling Pastor yesterday, the power of God was so strong at our church, custodians couldn't even go in and clean. I would walk in there and there'd be custodians laid out speaking in tongues with a running vacuum cleaner. It looked like a drive-by shooting or something. How many of you know you don't have to talk people into getting right with God? You just have to release the power of God. And so here's what's going to happen. Two things. Two things are going to happen. I'm going to, I'm going to say the word now. And when I say the word now, every single one of you in that audience are going to stretch your hands towards this line. And you're going to begin to pray out loud. I hope they hear it on the road. I hope they drive by and go, what is going on in that crazy church? And you're going to begin to pray. If you got the Holy Ghost, pray in the Holy Ghost. That's the first thing that's going to happen. The second thing that's going to happen is I'm going to come and I'm going to anoint each one of you. And all I want you to do is say, Lord, whatever brought you down to this altar, you're going to say, Lord, I jump. I jump into your arms. Use me the way you want to. Are you ready? Are you ready? Stretch your hands toward them right now. One, two, three. Now pray. Pray out loud, out loud. Out loud, out loud. She got that He got up us. Just jump. and look at me if you can can I bless you before we're done we don't bless people anymore why not did you know that you can bless your day or you can curse your day you can bless your children you can curse them you can bless your marriage you can curse it did you hear what I said you can bless your physical health or your finances are cursed. Deuteronomy, he said through Moses declaring to the church, I've set before you blessings and curses, life and death. Now choose life. 
We're going to bless you and we're going to speak it out loud. You want to know why? I don't do it for God. God already knows. I say it out loud because I want every demon in hell to hear the blessings that I'm putting on my life, my family, my job, my health, my finances, my children, and my church. I serve notice on the devil. The devil don't know what I'm in my heart. Pastor, That God knows what's in my heart. He knows what's in my mind. He's omniscient. He knows. The devil ain't omniscient. He don't know nothing unless I speak it out. So I speak it out so every devil in hell hears it. So when I found out the power of words, <laughs> I called my dad on the phone and I said, first lady, I said, Dad, will you bless me? He said, son, pray for you all the time. I said, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that, Dad. I love you and I appreciate your prayers. But I'm not talking about praying for me. I want you to bless me. I want my Father's blessing on my life. Friends, look in the Word of God. They fought over blessings. They manipulated and lied to get blessed. They passionately pursued blessings. So put your hands out like this. I learned it from a good African buddy. Thank you, Bishop Tudor. Your hands are like this because you're going to receive it, but my hands are like this because I give it to you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. May he cover you with his name, the name of Jesus. Father, for every outstretched hand today at SRC, bless their families, bless their children, bless their physical health, bless their finances, bless their homes. Father, bless their relationships, their future relationships. Father, for every outstretched hand, bless them with favor unlike they've ever known. And Father, we look forward to good reports in the future of the mighty things that you've done in the families and the congregation here at Solid Rock Church. And Father, we know that SRC has only begun to scratch the surface of the amazing things that you're going to do through this house to impact this city. I bless them now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, put your hands together and give God praise. Come on. Praise Him. Praise Him. Praise Him. Praise Him. Clap your hands, all ye people. Shout into God with a... And since they're in here, turn around and stretch your hands toward these kids up here. Hey, little ones, put your hands out like this. Father, we bless these children. We bless the families. We bless this next generation. We bless the things that they represent. Father, may these little ones lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Father, may they cast out devils. Father, may these young ones raise the dead. Father, we want to see these things happening in the new generations coming up. We bless these children now. In Jesus' name, everyone said, put your hands together one final time. You may be seated all around the room. Did that help somebody today? All right, everybody, listen to me. Don't anybody go anywhere because pastor's going to give you an opportunity not only to sow into SRC but bless her ministry. But I got to tell you about tonight. Got to tell you about tonight. Now, I wore, like, nice clothes today because, you know, I've never been here before and I had to be on good behavior, but not tonight. <laughs> 
Tonight is my pork pie hat and a pair of Jordans. That's just the way I roll. So, but I didn't know y'all and stuff, so I'm just going to be like me tonight. Is that okay? Maybe a pair of Yeezys. I don't know. We'll do something. Anyway, so we started this comedy night five years ago. Um, how many of you know that church folks are terrible at inviting people to church? I'm serious. Let me tell you why you're terrible at inviting people to church. Because you talk that churchy lingo. You talk that Christianese. Let me tell you a surefire way not to get someone here tonight. Go home or go to your friend. Somebody unsaved, by the way. How many know somebody unsaved? Raise your hand. How many know somebody that doesn't like church? Raise your hand. Oh, I'm about to get personal. How many know somebody that used to come here and no longer does? Raise your hand. So don't do this. Hey, we're having tonight a revival, and there's an evangelist. The service isn't. They're not coming. (laughs) Just go to somebody unsafe. Go to somebody that doesn't even like church and say, hey, they flew in a comedian from Dallas. Serious. Don't call me a preacher. Don't call me an evangelist. Don't even call it a church service. Just say, hey, brought in a comedian from Dallas having a comedy night at our church. Folks, we stumbled onto something. We found out that people that won't darken the doors of a church will go to a night of comedy. Well, it's a setup. <laughs> They're totally being bamboozled. Because <laughs> I am going to do about 30 minutes of comedy. Some of you are like, what was this morning? <laughs> Please, this was a Catholic funeral compared to tonight. You think I'm playing. You'll need a diaper. I'm not even playing with y'all. You will have more fun tonight in church than you've ever had. You will laugh. I mean, seriously, today was boring. Today was a, a 14-hour lecture on basket weaving compared to tonight tonight will you'll laugh it's going to be so much fun but at the end of the night i'm going to flip the script i'm going to share my personal testimony tonight of how i came to the lord they have become our largest altar calls if you know somebody that does not know jesus if you know somebody that is running from the lord get them here tonight because tonight i'm going to give how many still believe in a good old-fashioned pentecostal altar call come on somebody Come on, somebody. I still believe somebody can get up and say, hey, if you need to turn your life around, come forward. That's happening tonight. That's happening tonight. Six o'clock. We have people coming from all over. Don't think you're going to come in here tonight at 6.02 and get your cute little seat. So you better get here early because we're going to have a lot of folks here. Uh, our, our, Our comedy nights are typically bigger than the Sunday morning. So come casual, but come expecting God to do some great things. Uh, last but not least, pastor is going to give you an opportunity to bless the ministry. Uh, when I called pastor, let me tell you how crazy this was. We weren't even supposed to be here today. Uh, I have a friend uh, that's about an hour away. He had to reschedule. Uh, I called a good buddy of mine. You might know him, Clint Brown. Do you know that cat? <laughs> uh, I'll be with Clint a little bit later this year. And so I called Clint. And I said, hey, man, had a cancellation. Folks, this was, what, 29 days ago? 29 days ago. I called Clint. I said, man, I had a friend. You want me to come? He said, man, I want to have you probably in the summer. I said, cool, cool. I said, <laughs> I, said do you, I said, do you know anybody in Birmingham, Alabama? Because I already have a plane ticket there. Now it gets really weird. Six months ago, uh, another pastor brought up Pastor Larry Raglan in a conversation. Two months later, another guy. Four times in the last six months, a guy has brought up your pastor to me in a conversation. I friended him on Facebook. I sent him a message. This was before the phone call with Clint Brown. I sent him a message and said, hey, man, I know you don't know me. 
My wife said, you, wait, did you call that Pastor Larry? I said, I sent him a message. She goes, that Larry Raglan guy you're talking about? I said, yeah, I sent him a message on Facebook. She, my own wife goes, he don't know who you are. He's going to think you're crazy. I said, I feel like it's a God thing. Sent him a message on Facebook and said, man, your name pops up all over the place. Love to connect with you, get to know you a little bit. He messaged me back, said, man, that'd be great. Gave me his number. Two weeks later, I called Clint Brown on the phone and said, you know anybody in Birmingham? He said, oh, absolutely. Solid Rock, Larry Raglan. I called my wife. I was like, that's that dude. I said, that's that dude that everybody keeps talking about. How many know God does all things well? And so we're going to have, and so when I called him, let me tell you what I didn't say. I didn't say, well, pastor, uh, we need first class airfare. I'm going to need Fiji water in my hotel room. I'm going to need a bowl of green M&Ms. Only green. I didn't do that, did I? I asked for yellow. Uh, <laughs> I, just did. I told the pastor, I said, Pastor, give the people Sunday morning and Sunday night through a free will love offering a chance to bless the ministry and, and whatever happens. I have no contracts. I have no minute. And can I, tell, can I love you guys enough to tell you there's folks out there like that? I, I love you. There's folks out there that would never darken the door of this church. There's ministries out there that if pastor called them, first of all, he wouldn't talk to them. He'd talk to 17 people down the way, and they would say, how big is your church? And we're going to need this, this, and this, and this. We're going to need this, and this, and this. And they're going to send that stuff. I ain't playing with you. We're going to need a minimum of this. I don't dog them for that. I, some of these guys are my friends. Some of them, if I mentioned who they are, you'd know them. They're amazing people. But we're a faith-based ministry. And we said, Lord, we'll go wherever you open up the door. Will you touch the hearts of the people to sow a seed into our ministry? And that's the way we've done it for now 19 years. And so if you've been impacted today, if you've been touched, this is your chance to sow a seed into us. And how many know when you sow a seed, you don't get back a seed, you get back a bush or you get back a tree? Uh, if you sponsored a child, please, please, please see me at my table. It'll just take a moment. I'll tear that page out. Dude, I'm so amped for tonight. I can barely stand it.